You are listening to Gone But Never Forgotten. Our topics can include, but are not limited to, murder, sexual assault, graphic and gruesome details, and more. These topics are adult in nature and are not meant for everyone. Listener discretion is advised. As a true crime podcast, one thing is true of the vast majority of the cases that I cover. There is generally someone within the story, whether solved or unsolved, who was a criminal of one kind or another. In this week's case, we are going to cover a case that looks at a criminal of a completely different kind than we have ever looked at on the podcast before. In today's society, and with movements like Me Too going on around us, let me be clear. We are all for bringing stories to light and getting justice in cases where people need to be punished. However, sadly within that movement and within that environment, there are people who lie, manipulate, and try to villainize people who did not commit crimes simply out of some other desire, often spite. This week we look at a woman who told her story to everyone that would listen, and in the end, she ruined an untold number of lives. However, in the end, she went from preaching the victim to becoming the criminal. Hello, my name is Lance, and welcome to episode 74 of Gone But Never Forgotten. A criminal is a criminal, and a victim is a victim. The Eleanor Williams Story. I think that most of us have grumbled on at one point or another about how the world around us has changed over the last decade or so. Things have changed, attitudes have changed, and you can certainly nitpick a lot of negatives out of a lot of the changes that we have seen under the microscope within the global society at large. However, One thing that certainly is not something that has become a negative change is the fact that we have seen the Me Too movement rise up, and we have seen a lot of people be found guilty of things that previously were not brought into the light of day. If you're not familiar with the Me Too movement, it's a social movement against sexual abuse, sexual harassment, and rape culture, where people have been encouraged to come forward, and publicize their experiences of sexual abuse and harassment. This phrase first came to light in 2006 on MySpace and was used by Tarana Burke. The hashtag MeToo was first used in 2017 as a way to draw attention to the immense magnitude of the problem. The main goal has always been to empower sexually assaulted people through empathy, solidarity, and strength in numbers. It has certainly done that. 
However, as there often is within certain social media movements, there is an underbelly within that movement that we have seen. That dark side has emerged with people looking to gain followers and followings based off of coming forward with stories that wind up being found to be categorically untrue. Let me be clear though, I certainly believe that there are cases where people come forward and then the social media machine vilifies them because perhaps there is not clear-cut evidence of the abuse. I am not going to sit here and tell you that everyone who hasn't had their case proven is lying, not by a long shot. As every one of us that loves true crime knows, there are criminals every day that get away with crimes. What I am talking about are the cases like the one we're going to talk about today, where it seems clear that someone tried to take advantage of the media and the social media surrounding the Me Too movement and, in doing so, damaged the lives of countless members of society and affected many levels of law enforcement in order to get their name and their made-up stories out into the public eye. Cases like this one today are harmful and criminal in so many ways, not the least of which is the fact that stories like this one, when someone goes to great lengths to lie, wind up making it even harder for the real victims of crimes, especially sexual assault and sexual harassment, to come forward and share their stories with the public. I cannot stress enough, do not lie about criminal activity in any respect, whether that is about people committing crimes or withholding the truth when someone does commit a crime. Eleanor Williams, better known as Ellie by those who were close to her, was raised in a large stone-built semi by her mom, Allison Johnston, and her stepfather. She has an older sister named Lucy and an older brother who both helped look after and doted on their younger sister. The family lived on a small and quiet street on Walney Island just outside of Barrow and Furness in the UK. The family home was located in a more well-to-do area where the houses sell for almost double the price also in the area. Eleanor's mom, Allison, was always seen as a key part of the local community as she was a labor counselor. Labor counselors work within the community and are seen as integral in getting local people involved in all decision-making and service-shaping in the area. As far as I can tell, here in Canada, it would be a role that would be most similar to a municipal counselor looking after a ward. Eleanor's grandmother as well, Anne Burns, was a representative of the Labour Party also, and she also was a cabinet minister looking after the portfolio of children's services. Both Anne and Allison were recognized by neighbors as being community-minded and people who put everything that they had into representing the community, their town, and their constituents. Everyone that knew the family seems to explain that Eleanor had a normal upbringing and seemingly lived as normal of a family life as someone can possibly live. The first allegations that were made by Eleanor Williams were made in 2017 when she was 16 years old. 
Preston Crown Court would hear that she had been at a house party at the home of a man named Cameron Bibby in November of 2017. She said that she had fallen ill after drinking alcohol and smoking marijuana. Cameron would call Eleanor's mom and sister to come and get her, seemingly because he was worried about her. Eleanor's family would take her to the hospital, and while there, Eleanor alleged that she had been raped by Cameron at the party. Cameron Bibby would be arrested, but then, in January of 2018, Eleanor would withdraw her support of prosecution. In March of 2019, Eleanor would go out with a man named Jordan Trengrove, and she would be taken home after she had gotten intoxicated. She would allege that Trengove raped her that night when he took her home, and that he had also done so on two other occasions. She claimed that Trengove would come to her home, attack her, and threaten her while wielding a knife. When the issue got before the courts, they did hear that she had injuries after the alleged attacks. Trengove would spend 73 days in prison with a convicted sex offender after he was charged as a result of Eleanor's allegation. He was 18 years old at the time when the two met in Barrow in 2019. It would eventually be found that Eleanor caused the injuries to herself, something that would become a part of her modus operandi. In the most elaborate of Eleanor's claims, she would claim that she had been groomed from the age of 12 by a local business owner named Mohammed Ramzan. She claimed that he had taken her all over the world to force and persuade her to have sex with other men. She said that when she did not cooperate, she would be punished in various different ways. She said that she would be beaten, she would be raped, and she said at one time she even had a dog sicked on her. In her description of all of the things that she claimed happened to her, she was giving very detailed descriptions of what was known to happen within the realm of sex trafficking. Eleanor would say that at one time, Ramsen had taken her to Amsterdam and forced her to work at a brothel. While there, she said that she had also, he had also sold her at an auction for 25,000 euros. However, she said that the buyer had balked at the deal in the end. She would also claim that Ramzan had taken her to Ibiza, where he had forced her to have sex with multiple men. Eleanor would also say that Ramzan had taken her to Blackpool, where she would be taken to different addresses and forced again to have sex with multiple different men. Eleanor would also say that she was in Preston, where she would meet a man named Oliver Gardner. She said that Gardner was a sex trafficker and that he had forced her to take a large quantity of cocaine before he sold her to two Asian men who would then rape her as well. In 2020, though, Eleanor would make some of her most outrageous allegations, and she would go viral with those allegations. Police would find Williams in a field that was near her house, and she was severely injured. She had multiple injuries to her face, including a swollen eye. She also had a partially severed finger and injuries to her abdomen and her legs. The injuries were listed as police as too numerous to count. 
She would later take photos of herself, which we will show on socials and on the YouTube video next week. And she stated that she had received the injuries from a group of 10 Asian men who had offered a ride home only to take her to another property and dump her there after they were done assaulting her. This event set off a social media storm. Her post to Facebook would go viral, and a Facebook group was made in solidarity with Eleanor that was called Justice for Ellie, and had over 100,000 members. There was a line of merchandise as well that was made in support of Eleanor, and rallies were held all over the United Kingdom because people believed that the police were covering up a sex trafficking ring and that they were in fact shaming the victim as opposed to going after the guilty parties. All of this created a hellacious scene in Barrow, as they would see crimes triple in the town. 151 crimes were recorded that could be directly linked to the Facebook post and alleged attack in 2020. Some of those charges would include malicious communications, harassment, criminal damages, and public order offenses. As we all know, now more than ever, we're seeing a lot of social justice warriors in the public. People who are always on the lookout for causes that they can get behind and trumpet, and cases that they can point at and say that the police made or are making mistakes. As I have covered a lot in the podcast, there are a lot of cases of this throughout history, but I'm a firm believer that people should allow for certain things to play out before they get caught up to the levels that they do and did in this case. There were a lot of demonstrations, a lot of harassment, and a lot of destruction of property that went on, all because people saw and heard Eleanor's story and saw that the police were not operating in the way that they deemed fit. But, as can be the case, that is because there was a lot going on and a court case that was in the works. That court case, though, would not be against the alleged abusers of Eleanor Williams, but instead against Eleanor Williams herself. This is where the story changes drastically. Eleanor would come up on charges of perverting the course of justice. Perverting the course of justice is an offense that is committed when a person prevents justice from being served on themselves or on another party. In the United Kingdom, it can carry a maximum sentence of life in prison. Perverting the course of justice can be any one of the following. Fabricating or disposing of evidence, intimidating or threatening a witness or a juror, or intimidating or threatening a judge. In this case, it is clear now that the charges were in response to evidence that was made by Eleanor to look like other people were guilty of crimes that they did not commit. In the trial, a lot of things would come out related to all of the cases that I just covered. Oliver Gardner would say that he had met Eleanor one time on a chance encounter and he was shocked when he was contacted by investigators. He would say that he was in the wrong place at the wrong time, and that the allegations and the backlash that he faced would lead to him attempting to take his own life. 
The charges against Oliver were disproved using closed-circuit television that proved that everything that Eleanor said about their meeting was false. Cameron Bibby also was forced to delete social media, and he was even afraid to leave the house to pick up his son from daycare because of the venom that he faced because of the allegations levied against him by Eleanor. He was abused in person, and he was abused online. A law would come out about the allegations against Mohammed Ramzan and all of the instances that we discussed earlier. Police would say that everything that Eleanor said about Ramsen in Amsterdam was consistent with the Liam Neeson movie Taken. Eleanor's sister would even go before the court and say that she was with Eleanor when she was in Amsterdam, as the trip was actually herself, her boyfriend, and Eleanor, and that Eleanor did not leave their sight the entire time that they were there. This obviously disproved those allegations. It was also proved that Ramzan's credit cards were being used for Meals and Barrow at the time that Eleanor said that she was he was with her in Amsterdam. Earlier on, Eleanor had shared the story of the sex trafficking in Ibiza, but she had backed off of those allegations when police said that they would need to look into flight documents to corroborate her story. She did, however, hold to the fact that those stories were true when she was on trial. When Eleanor was in Blackpool, police would find that she made the trip completely alone. She spent almost all of her time in her hotel room, alone, watching YouTube videos. Then came the worst of it. The only thing that I can even really try to compare this to is Luca Magnata, when he created an entire online persona for himself to make himself seem more popular. Eleanor put the same amount of work seemingly into creating fabricated stories and fabricated people. It's been contended that Eleanor had as many as six phones, and she would create fake people by sending herself messages from one phone to another on Snapchat with fabricated names that would appear to show that she was being groomed and sex trafficked. She would also manipulate names of real people that she talked to on Snapchat, and she would induce sexual messages from them, only to take screenshots with the fake names on top and try to use those screenshots to prove that everything that she was alleging was true. One man in particular, she had changed his name on her Snapchat account to Shaggy. The man was from Essex, and Eleanor tried to paint him as a sex trafficker. Police were also able to prove that Eleanor had used the Wi-Fi at her family home to create a Snapchat account for Trengove, and then used it to make it appear that he had been messaging her and ridiculing her for the rapes that she had accused him of. Eleanor would also give investigators a list of 60 names that she alleged were women that she had met within the sex trafficking organization. However, Every one of those women that was contacted by police responded with some mixture of utter shock and complete denial of having been involved in anything of the sort. Even the incident that involved Eleanor being found in a field, severely beaten and bruised, was proven in court to have been her own doing. A pathologist would find that the injuries that she had suffered were consistent with being caused by herself. 
Police would even find that she had purchased a hammer at a Tesco store earlier in the month that was believed to be the weapon used. It was found nearby where she was found in the field, and it was proven by CCTV to have been the exact same style of hammer that Eleanor had purchased. And as such, at the end of a grueling three-month trial, Eleanor Williams would be sentenced to eight and a half years in prison for being found guilty of lying about being raped, lying about being sex trafficked by an Asian gang, and creating and tampering with evidence. It would appear that nearly everything, if not everything, that Eleanor said happened to her was nothing but elaborate lies. As all of the holes in the stories that Eleanor had told started to come to light, she would issue an apology and say, quote, I've made some mistakes and I am sorry. I was young and confused. I'm not saying that I am guilty, but I know that I have done some wrong and I'm sorry, unquote. Sorry is something that clearly must fall on deaf ears for countless people that were involved in this case. Serious and likely lifelong repercussions have been felt in so many corners after everything that went down and everything that came to light. We can of course talk about the people whose reputations she completely destroyed. Mohammed Ramzan, Jordan Trengove, Oliver Gardner, and Cameron Bibby all had their lives forever changed because Eleanor chose to levy accusations at them that truly never do go away. You may have heard it said that all it takes is an accusation to ruin someone's life, and that is perhaps never more true than it is today with the advent of the internet. If you Google any of these names, you will always find this case, and undoubtedly there are people who still believe that these men are guilty on some level. We can talk about the businesses that, we, that were attacked, had their businesses ruined, or anyone else in Barrow, as it descended into its own state of hell with demonstrations and things like that. We can talk about the supporters of Eleanor Williams, people who bought merchandise or supported GoFundMes. How foolish must these people feel that they jumped up to help a woman who ultimately made them all look like fools? Not to mention, as I record this, Eleanor's mother had reportedly not refunded any of the money that was raised to support her daughter when people thought that she was a victim rather than a criminal. However, as this case is presented and spread throughout the world, perhaps one of the ways that it will most affect everyone at large is the fact that seeing what happened here and seeing the media storm and then the fallout will in fact cause real victims to keep their stories to themselves because of fears that people won't believe them now being exasperated and fears of being arrested. When the judge sentenced Eleanor, she was told that her lies had contributed to an undermining of public confidence in the criminal justice system. For their parts, Eleanor's mother and sister have publicly stated that they believe that there are parts of Eleanor's story that they believe are true, but they also acknowledge that there are parts of Eleanor's story that she has made up. I suppose as a family you always have to try to believe the best in your family members is possible, and I would certainly see how living through anything to do with sexual assault or sex trafficking 
could cause severe mental health problems down the road. And a victim could certainly wind up going somewhat down the road that Eleanor went down. However, I think that this is very far down that road. To randomly choose lives to ruin is sick and sadistic, no matter what your reasons are. For now, we have to agree with the courts and the system that found Eleanor Williams guilty of perverting the justice system. It is evidence that were, there were a lot of lies here. We cannot act as though she is purely innocent and mistreated when we look at the evidence that was given and the sentences that were given. I think that is something that is key here. We live in a society that always has an incessant need to be right. I know, I am much the same. So we hear a story like this, or we read a post on social media, and we immediately feel our heartstrings pulled at. It can lead to a lot of things. In this case, a lot of people jumped to, a different, conclu to different conclusions, and frankly, none of them were good. There is a lot of blame to go around here. We need to remember that the law and the people who are charged with upholding it are there for a reason. Whether you like it or not, there are rules to be lived by wherever you live. You need to allow legal processes to go on and investigators to do their work before reacting in any of the ways that people in this story did. The old adage is that you are innocent until proven guilty. We need to remember that, because the world seems to be leaning towards the fact that everyone is guilty and needs to prove their innocence, and that is how things were done when quote-unquote witches were burned at the stake. When a case is completed, and there are facts to be analyzed and actual factual information on the table, that is when you can question things in a peaceful and intelligent ma manner. There are always things that investigators know that the public does not, and we need to allow for that so that more and more people don't get killed. The key wrong that was done here, of course, is the wrong that was determined in court. A woman stepped out of her way and destroyed many lives and affected way more lives even than that. But society needs to get back to something that I preach here on the podcast often, and that is being better. Don't always feel like you need to be judge, jury, and executioner, when instead you can be kind, compassionate, and caring. And of course, please learn one important thing from this episode that falls in line with that. First and foremost, learn that justice will be done. If you are a victim of abuse of any kind, or if you're in trouble of any kind, reach out in any way that you can and tell someone. The message of this case is that victims are victims, regardless of what sex, nationality, age, creed, or anything else that they are. On the other side of that coin, a criminal is always a criminal. If you have an opinion on this case, please hit me up on any of the social media accounts and let's have a chat. I know that there are people who feel incredibly strongly still on both sides of this case, and I'm always interested in listening and discussing cases. You can also send me an email anytime at gbnfpod at gmail.com, and I will get back to you that way also. 
I'll see you right back here next week for another dive into some true crime. And until then, I hope that you stay well and be better.